Welcome back to Common Sense Fantasy Baseball. I'm here again, back by popular demand. I have Colin Weatherwax. Colin, thanks for being on the podcast again. Drew, you have no idea what this means to me. I get to uh, save some money tonight. I don't have to draft. Uh, that was one of the, the most important things for me uh, is trying to find something else to do baseball related and not have to uh, not have to draft another fab team because, you know, everybody already knows I have way too many. I'm Colin's accountability partner tonight, everyone. <laughs> he's, in, he's He started his program today. And he is. He's been drafting, I think, probably every night for the last two months or more. So, uh, Colin, welcome to recovery. Yes, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to my first chip in the mail, and hopefully I don't join a draft while we're on the podcast. That is definitely a possibility. Well, we have a lot of stuff we want to talk about, so... um, one of the things we're going to, we're going to do some, some rounds, uh, kind of continue what I've been doing on ADP. But, uh, one thing that, that we talked about sort of looking back on to start with is sort of the difference between drafts in November, uh, or even January, uh, from what, where players are going now. And, um, we were just sort of perusing Ryan Bloomfield has tweeted out some, uh, ADP risers and fallers, I think he's got risers for hitters and pitchers and fallers for pitchers. Um, and so we were just kind of looking over that and thought it might be interesting to talk about some of those players and, and why we think they're rising and if we're happy about it or sad that we might miss out on them. So is there a player you wanted to start with? Yeah, I mean, just kind of looking at, uh, you know, the pitchers that he posted, when was that, February 16th. So uh, basically it's the highest pitcher ADP risers from November to February. Uh, The first one on the list just kind of jumps out a little bit, and that's Blake Snell. So he was going as the 38th pitcher or 38th player off the board, and now he's up to 28. I think him and and some of the, the top pitchers on this list, you know, guys like Luis Castillo moving up, uh, 13 spots, you Darvish moving up 16 spots, Noah Syndergaard, these elite guys are going to get pushed up. It happens every year in the NFBC, and this is where the data is coming from, the ADP that he's pulling from is from the NFBC. Uh, whenever you get closer to live events or big money, uh, big money, you know, entry leagues, uh, pitching is always going to be at a premium. And, and you know, a lot of people uh, do their draft prep with draft champions leagues like I do. Um, and, you know, you kind of you kind of get a feel of the player pool and see where guys go. But, you know, if you started in November, it's a lot different uh, now than it was in November. That's for sure. For sure. And, I, you know, sp- you know, looking at Snell specifically and some of those other guys you mentioned, I've, I've definitely seen seen it and felt it, um, you know, being able to get Snell in the late third round a couple months ago, that's just not happening anymore. Um, and, you know, I'm curious, I was looking sort of down the list. Um, does it surprise you that uh, Berrios is in the group of risers? He was going 95th in November and 79th now. Um, from from every analyst that I hear talk about Berrios, most are either off or off at this price, and yet the price seems to be going up. So the thing with Berrios is, you know, he's not a part of that elite group for me, at least, but he plays a significant role in a team construction. So uh, if you draft Jose Berrios, for me, he's a guy that you pair with a guy like Snell, with a guy like Chris Sale, 
um, maybe even a you know a guy like you Darvish or or Noah Syndergaard like you know you get the the consistent innings you get about a K per inning uh, with Jose Barrios but you're pairing him with those high upside pitchers so that way you know if they have a blow up those high upside pitchers you still have a nice little backbone to fall on with a Jose Barrios so I, I think the ADP right now going up to 79 is a little rich for me. Uh, that falls in line with, you know, guys like Trevor Bauer and Brandon Woodruff, who both have their own warts. But uh, Jose Brios just doesn't have the upside that I'm looking for, whereas Bauer and Woodruff in that range do. Yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. Is it it's a good second pitcher. He's never going to rise much farther above that. Um, he's not the second pitcher I would go with. And like you point out, um, some guys, Trevor Bauer, you know, would, would probably get you maybe a little more of the same types of things. And so there, there needs to be a difference in price there, in my opinion. But, um, you know, everybody has their guy. Another, another one that jumped out to me is uh, Edwin Diaz is up all the way from 140th overall to 116th now. So he has pressed into the, um, what would that be, the eighth round. Um, so he is going in sort of that second tier of closers after – you have your elite guys like Hader and Yates and Chapman and maybe Osuna's in that group and some some are even bumping Liam Hendricks up into that group. But then you have a lot of closers in the sort of second tier going in the eighth round, I think, um, eighth and ninth round, um, from Taylor Rogers to uh, maybe you can help. Who are the other guys? Uh, who am I forgetting? Uh, yeah, there's Taylor Rogers, Edwin Diaz, Kenley Jansen, uh, Ken Giles, so yeah. Brad Hand. Uh, so all those guys are kind of going in that range. So, I, I mean, whenever you look at Edwin Diaz, um, there's a lot of players that drafted him last year between pick 50 and 70, and they are completely out just because that's how fantasy baseball works. Um, you know, if you burn me once, then I, I usually don't want another piece of you. Uh, until I am completely healed from that wound that you that you left in my bank account, uh, which which is the which is the the same thing you know with Edwin Diaz. But uh, there is there are people on that end of the spectrum, and then there are people that look at his skills and look at what he did in Seattle and say, okay, last year he's not that bad. Like he he can't be that bad, right? So I mean the K's are there. Um, he was susceptible to the home run ball like crazy last year. And if the ball changes or if he, you know, just gets away from Mickey Calloway, which is definitely going to happen this year, uh, maybe he can improve a little bit. Uh, so I think, you know, him being pushed up is, is solely based on upside. Now for me, I actually don't think I have many shares of him, um, outside of a cut line draft where, you know, closers are, are kind of gold in that format, but and in a regular five by five roto, he's a guy that I'm not really targeting. Um, you know, I'm looking at guys like Brad Hand, who has the same type of ADP, but continually falls past that because of people's concerns about his health and other guys in, in the back of the bullpen uh, that could come in and, and steal his job. Um, other safer guys like Liam Hendricks, who you talked about. Or just waiting on, you know, a guy like Hector Neris, who who definitely should have the job this year with Girardi there and not not being Caplard. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I'm I'm always looking for the most safety I can find. So I will 
try very hard to find those guys like Hector Neris or Taylor Rogers, who, you know, they may not have the track record or the upside of your top tier closers, but they have, you know, what appears to me to be a stranglehold on the job, uh, or at least they did at the end of last season, which is sometimes all you can ask. Is there um, another pitcher here you want to talk about? You want to move to hitters or we could look at the fallers? Actually, we don't have pitcher fallers yet. No, we have the hitter fallers. But, yeah, I mean, to to wrap up this pitching one, um, there's a couple guys that, you know, that are on this list that are interesting to me. Sean Doolittle moving up, you know, almost 40 spots is a little crazy to me. Um, And I say that as, you know, looking at my player shares page and seeing Daniel Hudson is my highest uh, ranked guy in my player shares page. So I have the most shares of Daniel Hudson out of all of my teams. Uh, I just don't think that Sean Doolittle has it anymore. I think Daniel Hudson uh, looked better towards the end of the year and people will remember that since they, you know, are going to fly the fly the banner this year. So uh, I really like him as a late round value. And then a guy like Nick Anderson, who's continued to be pushed up, uh, you know, he's risen from 219 to 183. So 36 spots, but you know, with Tampa Bay, it's it's always been, uh, you know, a fluid situation. Even whenever they had Pagan, I was kind of out on him because there's always that, you know, play the matchups type thing with, uh, with, you know, with the Rays. So I, I'm really not in on Nick Anderson or Sean Doolittle, uh, especially not because they're moving up the draft boards. Because whenever you're drafting a closer in the 16th or I'm sorry, the 10th or 11th round uh, in a 15 team league, I want it to be a guy that I'm completely, well, not really completely, but I feel really good about. And those are two guys that I don't. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I think, you know, you could, you could make the case, especially if you've already drafted a closer or two, uh, that Nick Anderson will help you enough with your ratios because he's just this elite strikeout guy. But, you know, I just don't like drafting a closer who I'm going to have to use a lineup spot on. It's not going to be getting me saves mm-hmm. um, as regularly as, as a guy who's just got the lockdown job. I mean, that's just the way I like to do it. Yeah, I'll tell you what, this does make sort of a case for drafting in November, doesn't it? Like I, <laughs> I was just looking at Brandon Workman. He, he's at from 194 to 154. So you were getting him in the 13th, 14th round, and, and now you have to take him in the, you know, ninth or 10th round. Um, so, or, you know, certainly the early 11th, if, if not the 10th. Yeah, uh, I actually a did a, uh, a draft champions in November. I'm actually going to pull that up because that just looking at some of these numbers, it's a little crazy. Um, you know, I'm trying to see if anybody sticks out just right off the top. Well, before you even pull it up, uh, you know, like just looking at this list, Scott Oberg, 288 in November. I mean, mm-hmm. he was a complete afterthought. And now 232, even in February when we have had you know, the news of Wade Davis, uh, you know, being the named closer for however long that lasts. (laughs) But it's interesting, you know, just that you could have gotten Oberg practically for free in November. Yeah, no, I I mean, there's so much to look at on this draft. Um, There's a lot of holes on my team, so I'm already starting to, you know, question drafting in November. But um, there's definitely a benefit to drafting early. But there's also guys that, you know, pick Pagan in the seventh round and, um, you know, guys that pick Clevenger in the second round, which, I mean, I guess he's still going that high, but 
Um, that's that's another topic that we'll touch on for sure. Um, but it, it's that's, it's always a risk for sure. Yeah, that was that was definitely me a couple times with Clevenger, and uh, you know that's maybe a maybe the opposite case, right? That's the case for drafting in in February or or March because you're going to be able to if you if you do want him on your team, you're going to be able to get him a several rounds later. So, well, you would think. <laughs> yeah, you would think. We'll, we'll have to see on draft day. What about hitters? What do you think uh, with some of these some of these risers on? Uh, on the list i'm looking at you know a, a lot of it is just the guys that have been signed like cj cron has moved up from 279 to 235 you can can understand why um incarnacion from 217 to 182 and it's it's kind of like with the closers though it's it's funny that you know maybe even a little more so to me with, with the hitters it's like did people think that Crone and Encarnacion were not going to have jobs or did they just <laughs> they were they were just waiting for the right um you know to make sure they sign with the right team but like it, it's the jumps are sort of larger than you would expect yeah I mean that's definitely a case for drafting early but I mean whenever you look at some of the guys on this list for the hitters that are rising you can you can pretty much you know see why uh Luis Robert didn't sign his extension until after November uh, he was going 106. Now he's going 77. Um, Avisiel Garcia went up almost 60 spots because he he got a team and he actually landed in a pretty good spot. Edwin Encarnacion, who you touched on, CJ Crone, Castellanos, Mustakis, Donaldson. These are all guys that did not have a team. So whenever they whenever they go to a team, it it starts to all form and it all starts to start to make sense. So. Um, I mean, whenever you start off on the top, the top guy on this list, and Luis Robert, um, you can see it. I mean, I got my first share of him yesterday. Um, I'm not a huge believer at that price because that price is, you know, the, what, fourth, fifth round, like fifth or sixth round, I mean, in a 15-team league. So that could be your second or third hitter, which is super scary to me. Um, that's something that I'm I'm really not trying to do. I'm not trying to put that much risk in either my outfield one or outfield two spot, and especially not my third hitter um, having that much risk. Although there is upside, um, I'll, I'll look a little bit later in the draft to get that. So um, guys like Castellanos and Moustakis landing in great spots for them. These are guys that have pushed up you know, over 20 picks already, and I don't think they're done. I really don't. Whenever we get to the live events uh, for NFBC, these are guys that, you know, they're not going to go near their ADP that that it's at right now. Castellanos is at 97. Mike Moustakis is at 108. I see Castellanos being like a low 80s, high 70s guy uh, whenever we get closer to that. And Castellanos, or I'm sorry, Moustakis going into, you know, low 90s. So um, there's a lot of guys on this list that, yeah, they've jumped a lot since November, um, but there's still some more jumping to be done. Yeah, I think I agree with you on, especially Mustakas 108 just seems way too late for a guy with second and third eligibility. And, you know, you're going to play him at second base and lock in 35 plus home runs. That's just not easy to do. While you were talking, I did get to, to peruse the list for guys whose role and team really hasn't changed, which I think may, maybe the most interesting ones to talk about. So we've got Real Muto uh, bumping up from 60 to 47th that's the, i think the that's black crazy bump. crazy yeah that's all it is <laughs> uh maybe more interesting even is the is boba moving from 79th to 64th uh, 
that's oh, uh, breaking your heart, right? It, it really is. Um, <laughs> I, I looked at my player shares page uh, yesterday, and I saw that I only had one share of Bo Bichette, and I almost cried. Uh, so I went into you know my three drafts that I did yesterday, saying to myself before I started them, I want to get one Bo Bichette share. And I ended up with zero again, because not only has he moved up from pick 79 to 64 since November, uh, he's moving up even higher than that, honestly. Um, In the online championships, he was, you know, his ADP is about 70, uh, 70 or 75. And he went at pick 50 yesterday. I had a buddy message me uh, in DMs on Twitter saying that some guy just took him at 50 in a DC, like, this is a guy that the helium is warranted. Uh, the report that came out today about him batting leadoff in this lineup is only going to inflate that even more. And as much as I love Bo Bichette, I love him. Um, I cannot make him my first or second hitter. There's no way. Okay, because I was about to ask, I mean, with him going at 64 now and Luis Robert going at 77, I, you know, I, I was just going to ask, to clarify if you if you believed in him over Luis Robert. And then secondly, sort of if you could explain the logic. Because, I mean, Bo Bichette has had some major league experience, but it's very mm-hmm. little so far. And so I was just curious if it was just a belief in the player and the, and the hit tool or if it was the even little bit of track record that makes you feel that much better. I feel a lot better with a little bit of track record, but I have been a fan of Bo Bichette for years now. Um, I thought that this could happen. I thought that whenever he made his debut, uh, he could bump into that top 100 overall player. Um, I'm going to love him from afar this year because, like I said, I am not comfortable taking him as my first or second hitter. And whenever you get into the live events, um, I would not be surprised if he creeps his way into the third round. Oof. Even even the fourth round just seems like yeah. paying out the nose for a guy who, who has as little experience as him. But I have to agree. I mean, like he's he's a really a player I'm interested to watch. Um, I, what do you give me a give me a stat line for him this year if you had to pin one down? Ooh, um, you know, before I do that, I, I want to kind of compare him to Ronald Acuna. So in 2018, um, Acuna was a guy that I was completely out on because his price was that of Bo Bichette's. It's it's you're talking about the third or fourth round for a guy that we already knew was not going to start the year in the majors. Um, the the case is a little bit different now because we know Bobachet is going to start the year in the majors, but is his upside Acuna? It's not. <laughs> it's really not. No. So so taking him at that price, you are getting rid of the complete upside that is Bobachet. Um, cool. You know, the upside is no longer there whenever you spend a third or fourth round pick on him. You need him to be a top 20, 25 hitter in order to, you know, reap the benefits of him. So if I had to give you an overall stat line uh, for what I think he can do this year, I think he could be very productive. Um, You know, he's had a few health issues in the past. Uh, Steamer has him at 22 home runs, 24 uh, steals and 275. I kind of see that um, with, a, with 147 games played. So they're baking in a little bit of, of missed time, about 15 games. So, you know, 275, 22, 24, um, that's kind of like what people are, are expecting from uh, Luis Robert. And you can get Robert 30 picks later. Um, and, and especially because, you know, they both play a position that's very deep. 
Uh, everyone talks about it on every podcast. Shortstop is super deep. Outfielders, even though you have five slots to fill in the NFBC, it's still pretty deep. Like there's there's guys that are in post pick 200 that you could still feel comfortable with as your outfielder number four. So paying yeah. that price for a 275, 22, 24 guy is a little too much for me. Yeah, I think. <clears throat> sorry, I think if if you could guarantee me that twenty two, twenty four, and the two seventy five, I would be pretty intrigued. You know, at least in the fifth round, if not the fourth. the The problem is ATC and the bat, which I didn't realize the bat had come out. Now there goes the rest of my night. But um, uh, <laughs> they have him for seventeen stolen bases, and that's that's a pretty big difference, you know. And yeah. they also have him, you know, the bat has him for nineteen home runs, ATC twenty two. So it's it's kind of all over the board. Everybody thinks he's a, a two seventy something hitter, which I would probably agree with. I think he's a very good hitter. I think you could see actually a little bit more than twenty home runs, just just based on sort of the power that he showed last year. I was I was surprised by it. And I thought, well, this is just a hot start. You know, this can't be anything. But to me, it looks like the the Statcast data kind of backs it up. So I was I was pleasantly surprised when I looked into Bichette's power. Uh, for me, the question mark is the stolen bases. And so, you know, obviously 17 and 24 are pretty far apart. But you know, 17 is not even written in stone uh, because we don't know what he's going to do. We don't know what the Blue Jays are going to do. And I noticed he. Um, he, he stole four last year and, you know, 200 plus at bats and he got caught four times as well. So not a great start. I mean, we'll, we'll not, we're not going to write him off forever for that, but, uh, just, just a little word of caution to anybody who's, you know, just sort of writing the stat line in ink for Bichette. So yeah. I'm with you. I, I can't wait to see what he does, but uh, I'm not I'm not paying early fifth round or, or certainly not third or fourth round about, you know, price for him. Right. I mean, just looking at my online championship from last night, uh, he went at pick five point one. A uh, guy like Tommy Pham goes at pick six point one. So that's, you know, 12 picks later. I'm perfectly fine with taking Pham over Bichette and even a guy that, you know, I'm not too sold on that. He could, uh, you know, repeat what he did last year. Actually, two guys. Tim Anderson and Marcus Simeon, they both play the same position as Bo Bichette, but isn't there a little bit more safety in what they are going to provide you with average and, you know, some runs, some home runs, a little bit of chip and steals from Simeon and a possible 2020 guy and Tim Anderson. These guys are going four rounds later, sometimes four plus rounds later. So that's, well, that's, that's my issue. I think I think those are the perfect two guys to call out. Um, for one thing, it transitions us to the fallers because Marcus Simeon, get this, for no reason that I can fathom, <laughs> has has fallen from 76th overall to 88th overall from November to February. I'm here and, for it. You know, and I've seen uh, Tim Anderson. You know, is actually going a little bit later and has been the whole time, but he has not risen at all and, and, and may even be falling a little bit. And I think you know it's. It's just the difference between uh, the the sort of boring guy and the the new shiny bauble, you know, the young yeah. the young kid who you can dream on. You know, I don't think anybody would expect 20 plus steals from Simeon or 25 home runs from Tim Anderson, but you can dream on both from Bichette, and that's that's the difference, you know. <laughs> but I but I think your I think your Simeon call out is especially good because if you can get Simeon at 88, 
I see no reason to gamble on Bo Bichette at 64 or higher because I think their stat lines could actually look very similar. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not putting it, I'm not putting it in ink that Simeon will steal double digit bases again, but I, I like the chances. And, um, you know, I, I think he, he might hit, he might out hit, uh, Bichette for average and home runs, or at least I, I could see that being a close race for both. Uh, so like, that's just, way too much value you're getting there so yeah i'm not huge on the guy like tim anderson or marcus simeon but if you're telling me i'm gonna get a four plus round discount on those two guys uh, compared to bo bichette i'll just take you know tommy fam or i'll take nelson cruz or maybe even a pitcher there uh just so that way i can get that value and not lose too much and and just gain uh what i'm missing in that fifth round guy by taking bo bichette i love the guy but it's it's too expensive for me right now. Uh, I'll get you to name a couple of fallers you want to talk about in a second. But before I do that, um, we got one more riser I want to talk about. So obviously Nelson Cruz is up and obviously Salvador Perez, they're rising because why were they ever down where they were? <laughs> but the, the one I want to talk about, uh, again, with, with no change uh, to his team or situation is Brian Anderson. I just, I mean, sure, they've signed a couple of hitters to go around him, but that's about it. And he's up from 261 to 233. I just find that pretty fascinating. I, I, I like Brian Anderson a lot, and I was hoping to grab a couple of shares of him around, you know, around 17 or so, around 18 and 15 teamer. But he is now, you know, pushing way up um, 233. What would that be? 15th round? can't do math in my head 16th round but <laughs> but um but anyway uh yeah i think um do, what, what's your explanation for why Brand, brian anderson is moving up uh i think he's a boring guy that people thought was just an average guy you know just a one category player um and now they're starting to realize oh wait uh this guy can give you a little bit more than just average so um, they're, they're bumping him up a little bit. And I, I will admit that I was a part of that, you know, that crew, uh, you know, that just thought he was a boring guy, no really use on my team, but he's a guy that can play three or four spots for you. You can play outfield, third base corner or util. Um, and whenever he, he moves up, you know, a full 10 spots in just his position of outfield. Uh, so he's going in between guys like Justin Upton and Luis Arias, but he doesn't just provide you with average. He has a little pop. Uh, we saw that, you know, last year he got you 20 home runs. Um, you know, it's a bad team in Miami, but it's a pretty good offense. So he's a guy that's going to be batting in the middle of the order. Um, he hit 261 last year, 273 the year before that. Uh, I, I don't think that 20 home runs, 80 RBIs, and maybe 80 runs is out of the question for him. And getting him this late is, is a benefit to your team. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned his position eligibility because I think that might actually have a lot to do with it. Um, I have noticed that once you get past the sort of, uh, you know, I'm talking 15 teamers here, once you get past maybe the 11th round or so where, where Scott Kingery and Justin Turner and sometimes like Hunter Dozier and J.D. Davis will go, third base dries up quite a bit. And hmm. so, you know, you can take your shot on a Gio Urshela um, or, you know, even a Yandy Diaz, of course, you have to worry about him getting Tampa Bay, but I still like him a lot. 
Um, and then and then you're dropping down to guys like Kyle Seeger and Ryan McMahon and, and you know like you're not sure what you're going to get. So I think Brian Anderson falling within that range somewhere is is kind of a, a steady Eddie option that you especially in 15 teamers is attractive because he's probably going to be in the lineup every day and yeah. um, and may actually have you know I think people are realizing like you said you know, he may have a little um, shine to him, you know, he's not just a, a 20 home run, 260 guy. Maybe he can, maybe he can hit you some more homers uh, if he gets a full slate and, and maybe there's some upside on the batting average. So, so yeah, I think there's, there's reasons to like him, but I think you might've hit on something with the positional eligibility. Yeah. That, what and, a, you know, I said, he's a boring guy. Just look at his name, Brian Anderson. <laughs> like, come on, there's nothing sexy about that name at all. <laughs> but he's also a guy in team construction where if you see, hey, oh, crap, I'm, I'm missing a lot in average right now. I need to make up for that. And you realize that in round 17, which is, first of all, a bad thing to realize in round 17. Uh, but second of all, you can just kind of pivot to a guy like Brian Anderson. And there you go. Mr. Anderson. So boring. <laughs> well, OK, Colin, why is Anthony Rizzo falling from pick 60 to pick 74. That is that is just too far. I'm not even the hugest Anthony Rizzo guy this year, but 74th overall? Yeah. For a, for a guy who's going to hit close to 300 at first base, which is a not a very top-heavy position, I'm confused by this. Yeah, I actually am not a huge Anthony Rizzo guy, but at that price, uh, sign me up. Yeah. That, that's mean, going uh, after a guy like Paul Goldschmidt, um, guys like who Tyler Glass now, Chris Bryant. So, I mean, there's there's a couple guys that are going ahead of him that I kind of get. Um, but for him to fall that, you, you're talking about a steady Eddie. This is this is the guy for you. He's basically Xander Bogarts at first base, right? I mean, there's no I, – I, I don't see the downside with Anthony Rizzo. He's in a great lineup. He's probably going to hit, you know, in the he's either going to hit – First, second, third, or cleanup. Um, not exactly sure which one, but uh, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I was sort of cold on Anthony Rizzo. I was not a huge fan, and I was like, yeah, if he's going in the third round, I'm out this year. But he was, you know, he was. He started out in November in the fourth round, and and uh, on on the sheet here that Ryan has, he's he was at 60, but now down to 74. You know, if I was off it, if I was, you know, tempted at 60, I'm just. I'm just flabbergasted at 74. That just seems far too inexpensive. But uh, you pick one. Uh, there's there's plenty of guys on this list that you can qu- quite understand why they are dropping. Uh, Eugenio Suarez with the injury, uh, VR because you know people stopped doing drugs or I don't know. <laughs> um, George Springer with the Astros thing. Yuli Gurriel, same thing. Um, you know, Nick Senzel and Aristides Aquino because they keep signing outfielders in Cincinnati. But uh, is there any, anyone else on here you wanted to really talk about? Yeah, the one that there's actually two that stick out to me, and I'm surprised you didn't name them already. Uh, the first guy is Yasiel Puig. <clears throat> so, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, he, I, <laughs> and obviously that's the that's you know, that's the fact that he hasn't signed. But it, it is kind of weird that he would not just hold the drop. You can see, obviously, he's not going to move up until he signs, but he's down from 107 to 127. So that is a ninth round pick. 
Yeah, the uh, the value just screams at me. Um, it, it already had been, honestly. Him going post pick 100 was something I was super interested in. Um, I will admit I am souring on him uh, as we speak. The the fact that he does not have a team, uh, the fact that he is a quote unquote clubhouse detriment, I guess. Um, you know it it's it's a little weird to me because I look at Puig the player. Puig the player is an excellent fantasy option. He's a guy that's not going to hurt you in average. Uh, he'll chip in a little bit of steals. He'll, uh, you know, he'll, he'll hit you some bombs. He'll be an 80, 80 guy and runs an RBIs. Like this, he almost had a 2020 season last year and it's creeping into my mind that Japan is an option. And I really hope that that is not the case because I would lose out on all of my shares that I've stocked up already. Um, Say it ain't so. yeah, but, yeah, no, I mean, I, I guess, uh, you know, I understand and I, I have not begun worrying yet but i i do see the case and and the problem is you know with puig you're right if you get him on the field for fantasy he's 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 an absolute top 50 hitter you know he's what you see is what you get he does the same thing every year but he's always been a problem i mean he just <laughs> he has not been an easy guy uh, for real life managers to have on their team and, and you can maybe you can see why he's having trouble getting a job because of that, despite his talent and despite the fact that he, you know, on the field, he will be good news for a team. I, you know, I'd hesitate to buy too much into that narrative because I really do think that, you know, there a lot of guys have, um, you know, have their their issues and they, they still get to play and. You know, I, I don't think his teammates have as much of a problem with him as, as sometimes he can be a headache for management. But, you know, that's why they get paid the big bucks. And I, I, I really do feel like somebody's going to find a way to get Puig on their team. Um, but it is that that is an extra reason to be concerned. If it was just Joe Smith, you know, just random Joe Schmo that had not signed at this point in February, I would have zero concern. But the fact that it's Puig just does give you that slight bit of. Ugh, maybe people are just tired of his antics. Yeah, and then there's somebody that mentioned, oh, well, maybe he'll just sign with a crappy team like like the Pirates, and I stopped them there. I was like, he almost killed the entire Pirates team last year by himself. <laughs> like, there's no way. There is no way he's going to Pittsburgh. But, you know, if he ends up on a team like Miami, on a team like Kansas City, like, I don't care how bad the team is. I still believe that Puig will put up what he's done in the past. So that's that's the side of me that wants to take the value, but there's also the side of me that says, do I really want to, quote-unquote, waste a eighth-round pick on a guy that could be playing in Japan? Yeah. It's, it's an interesting conundrum. Uh, it's it's such a value that I can't turn it down at this point. But, um, but yeah, it, it'll, it'll be an interesting one to watch as we get into March. And yeah. then uh, I bet there I was, guess the other guy yeah. you wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah, there was one Willie. other guy. Willie. Willie Calhoun, yep. So I've actually been a benefit of his drop. He was going at pick 150, uh, and now he's going at pick 174. And I drafted three three teams last night, and I got him on all three. Um, I I took advantage of the value, and this is this kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier. Nothing has changed, so why is he dropping? Uh, I think it's I think it's a lot of the people that are rising that are just going ahead of him now. 
um, as to why he's dropping. And, and like I said, nothing's changed. He's going to be hitting at the top of the lineup. Um, he's a guy that has a, a great batter's eye. So he's not a guy that, that strikes out a lot. Um, he's going to give you some pop. He's going to give you a really good average. Um, and, and he's a guy that could, you know, rack up the counting stats as well. He's not a speed guy whatsoever. Um, but in that lineup at the top of the lineup, you know, with Joey Gallo behind him, um, Shinsu Chu ahead of him, you know, there's, there's a little bit of pop on that offense. So I am, I'm full in on Willie and I'm perfectly fine with him being, you know, my outfielder three, um, even my outfielder two, if I have to, but I would feel a lot more comfortable as an outfielder three. And in the auction I was in yesterday, uh, I, I'd went full studs and duds really. And I was perfectly fine with him being my outfielder three at like three bucks. Hmm. So are you pretty much in line with projections on him? I mean, they, they do vary a little bit, but it's 20-something home runs and 20, you know, 270 or something. The bat is really low on him, so don't look at the bat or you'll just not be – you'll be upset. But <laughs> but uh, 25 to 27 home runs, let's say, and a 270 average, is that is that good for you there? Because I, I could see why that would be a little bit boring in the, um, you know, the 10th round at pick 150. Um, it, it, it seems a lot better where he's going now is what, is what I'm saying. But if you believe in more, that would change the calculus for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not looking at the bat at all. I'm just raging at this point. But um, I'm, I'm I don't know why I have these... him at 250. That seems yeah, a little low. I don't low. understand that at all. Um, but no, I'm looking at some of these projections, and they're only projecting him for like 130 games, 140 games. Like, I... I guess there's a little bit of an injury risk, but if you give me 150, 160 games of Willie Calhoun, this is a guy that could go 30, 90, and 90. Like, you know, if you if you look at the Steamer 600, and I can pull that up real quick uh, for Willie Calhoun, it's gonna be somewhat in line uh, to those numbers. And if you know, yeah, it's gonna that, be that, 30 plus at that yeah, point. If you get that, that's you get what you're looking for in in this type of in this type of round, you're looking for that upside. You're not drafting. Brian Anderson this early because you know what you're going to get in Brian Anderson. Um, I guess yeah. the other thing is, you know, how good will that lineup be? And will he really bat near the top of it? Cause you've got Sinchu Chu leading off. Probably you've got Elvis Andrews, Gallo, and then there's Danny Santana, which we won't get oh, back into, God, no. <laughs> but uh, I guess you could see Willie Calhoun, you know, getting into that cleanup spot at some point or, maybe getting into like the second or third spot. I would think three would be a good spot for him if he's hitting that well. Uh, you know, uh, the 270 average I think is fair. I, yeah. I don't want to – I think maybe the bat confused him with Cole Calhoun. Maybe yes, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> but but no, I, I, I definitely I, – I can see where you're coming from on Willie, and I think, you know, if he could hit – if he could get in the lineup every day, even if he hits fifth, you know, if he gets in the lineup every day and he gets 600-plus at-bats – 30 home runs is definitely in the bat somewhere. If, uh, if, if they, you know, if he gets a full run, it's, yeah. it could, it could happen. I, I, I don't think I would, you know, write it in ink, like I say, but, uh, but you could, you could definitely dream on that without no. going too far. Yeah. Field. So Seamer 600. Uh, he's at 273, 28 home runs, 78 runs and 87 RBI. So a 28, 80, 90 guy uh, with a, with a great average, like, Correct. Like you, like even if you said if he drops down to fifth, like does that even hurt him at all? Uh, Gallo is a guy that can get on base as long as he's not striking out. 
Uh, the guys ahead of him could get on base as well. So that could even increase his his uh, RBI production as well. So I, I like the top of the lineup for the Rangers. I think there's a lot of movability around with them. Um, but, you know, if I could get Calhoun as my outfielder three, uh, and I, you know, I've stocked up my pitchers, I've stocked up my infield up until then, I'm perfectly fine with that. Especially you stocked up your stolen bases too. Because I yeah. think, you know, like that's probably factoring into it a little bit you know maybe people are taking um an adam eaton here or something you know and they're saying well i'll i'll sacrifice a little bit on the power and try to grab a few stolen bases but yeah that's probably what's happening um but i get it you know 174 you could do worse than willie Calhoun. one last guy i just have to mention is uh jeff mcneil um i was really actually kind of surprised he was going as high as he was just sort of right off the bat. He was going at 85th overall in November and uh, he's fallen to 99th now, which I think is, is a pretty good value, but um, I, I can't for the life of me figure out why he would be falling. <laughs> There's nothing's really happened with Jeff McNeil. Um, maybe people just got, you know, realized that they'd gotten a little carried away in November or, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they, uh, or just undervaluing him now. But I was just surprised to see that for Jeff McNeil for really no reason that I could put my finger on. Uh, the reason I think it is is because people can you know finally realize that if you draft Jeff McNeil, he has to fit your team. Um, and that's probably why he, he fell down. Like if you drafted you know an Altuve and a Freddie Freeman to start off the draft, like you don't need Jeff McNeil as your third hitter. Like you already have two average guys that are that are going to provide in that category, but if you drafted, uh, I don't know who Acuna and Giancarlo Stanton, and you need some some batting average uh, batting average cushion, then you draft Jeff McNeil. Yeah, that's a good point. It's it's a team construction thing. I have not drafted him that I can think of, um, just because it is sort of a. It is sort of an empty, you know, average profile. I mean, I think the power, I think he, he, he developed some power and he decided to hit for power and he was able to do it. And he very well could hit 25 plus home runs. It's just, it's, it's not the, the surest bet for me that he'll do that and also hit 300. So, um, you know, I, I've had trouble finding that right spot for him on my team. So maybe that's uh, what other people are seeing as well. Well, all right. Um, I wanted to ask you one sort of just team construction thing. We, we were looking at a couple of your teams uh, earlier, um, 15 teamers, and in both of them you had, you know, I think you you used the term punted pitching. You, you, you didn't take your pitcher in one until Chris Paddock in the fifth, and then in the other one it was uh, Trevor Bauer in the sixth. So to me, you know, a guy who's usually taking – two pitchers in the first three rounds, three or four rounds. Um, that seems like punting pitching. So how, how do you feel about the that strategy and 15 teamers and how it's worked for you so far? So to give a little bit of context, the two drafts that we're looking at are draft champions leagues. Uh, one was done on January 16th and one was done on February 16th. So obviously I uh, didn't get the same pick, but it uh, looks like I went with the same strategy in both of them. Um, so, so for me in a draft champions, it's a little bit different than, you know, you're looking at, you know, your main event leagues that are coming up as well. But in these draft champions leagues, I think that there's a lot of value 
in pitchers late. Um, there, there are a few guys that I actually really like going like post pick 20 or yeah, post round 20 that I feel that I can fill out my team with um, better than the hitters going in that area because there's so many question marks, not only with the pitchers, obviously, but with the hitters, you know, there's, there's guys like Colin Moran and Daniel Vogelbach that, you know, performed last year, but coming into this year, there are a few question marks. So um, I like to not have to rely on those guys, although I will draft them. I like to not have to, you know, plug them into my util right off the bat to start the season. So it, it, whenever it comes to pitchers, there there are a few guys that, you know, have shown something in the past that makes me want to draft them past round 20. Um, and I think quantity over quality uh, if you're using this strategy in a draft champions league is something that I use uh, for pitchers more than I do for hitters. Well, that's interesting that you bring out that point. Cause that is exactly how I feel. Um, the, the hitters that are going after round 20 are, you know, really long shots at best. Yeah. <laughs> People are hoping for uh, Jesus Aguilar and Travis Shaw to bounce back. I mean, people are, you know, hoping Ian Happ will finally get get it all together, you know, and, and hit for, uh, you know, a hit above the Mendoza line. And, you know, it's just things that could work out and, could, you know, could really be somebody you'll start playing every day. But more likely um, are players you're not really going to want to have in your lineup. And so, you know, they're usually backups, you know, thankfully, <laughs> in a in a draft champions league for your for your hitting spots. But um, but. The pitchers, uh, I'm with you. You know, you can get guys there who they may not light up the world, but I mean, even in the late 20s rounds, like uh, you know, 28, 29, 30, you can get some guys like I've gotten a lot of like Spencer Turnbull there and Chase Anderson, and these are not exciting names, <laughs> but these are guys who are going to get you 150 to 200 innings, and they're going to get you, you know almost a strikeout per inning if not more than a strikeout per inning and it's like if you just take a few of those guys you can really fill them in um if, well if you take a lot of those guys which is what i'm usually doing after round 20 um enough to to where you can even play matchups and stuff like that but but here's the here's the big difference to me uh the best way to be able to do that is to take a couple of aces or you know uh, first two or three rounds starting pitchers to really help those ratios because um, I'm just going to use the one of yours with Trevor Bauer, if that's okay. So you, yeah. you had Trevor Bauer in the sixth, uh, Zach Gallen in, uh, I'm not going to read the relief pitchers, but Zach Gallen in the ninth, uh, Matt Boyd in the 11th, Joe Musgrove in the 14th and Griffin Canning in the 15th. I, I like all those guys. I think that's actually a really, you know, a, a staff with a lot of potential. The thing is, other than, you know, potentially like, Trevor Bauer or Zach Gallen, uh, you know, if, if everything goes right, you're, you're probably not going to get like elite ratios, right? So like Trevor Bauer has had an elite whip, I think once, and you could imagine Zach Gallen doing it, but you know, you, you're kind of expecting it, you know, from DeGrom and Cole and, and not only are you expecting elite, you're expecting like sub sub three ERA and sub one whip. And so when you average that with those guys that we both like in the 20 something round, you know, or later, 
to me, that that's an easier way. And then and then the added bonus there is I'm taking like two guys and then waiting for the like Musgrove canning uh, area where you're taking at least three. In this case, it was three, you know, Bauer, Gallon and Boyd. And of course, you know, the the counter argument there is you're also getting you got Lindor in the first round and J.D. Martinez in the second and you're, you're stocking up on hitting there. But I would rather I feel like there's so many good hitters, you know, going in the rounds where you where you're taking like Bauer and Gallon there that the difference in those hitters is going to be a lot. They're not going to be Lindor and J.D. Martinez, but the difference between like uh, Verlander and Trevor Bauer or, you know, Snell or Bieber and um, Matt Boyd or whatever is that gallon is going to be just immense and um, and sort of be a difference in the the foundation for the ratios for your team. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And, you know, kind of looking back and at, at this draft, like I said, this was done in the middle of January. So uh, I was probably three or four drafts in. Uh, this is why I love to do my prep with these 15-team draft champions because I get to know the player pool and I get to see, okay, what's working and what's not. Because whenever you flip over to the other one, I feel like I did a lot better. But before we move on to the other one, uh, I'm going to defend myself in saying it looks like I got sniped a lot in this draft. Because <laughs> whenever you look at round three, um, all of you know, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 11, the top 11 pitchers were off the board. And the only one left was Patrick Corbin. And for me, Patrick Corbin is the end of a tier for me. And he was sniped. So he, he was right before right, he took right before me. Yeah. And then you look at the next round and you kind of think, okay, well, maybe I can end up with a guy like uh, Giolito or Morton, Darvish, Paddock, Nola. Those five guys I just rattled off went five picks before me. So <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So looking at it, like, from, from you know, the, the top of it, um, you can see – you know, why I did what I did. Uh, but I completely agree with you looking at it now. It is a risk in ratios for sure. Uh, whenever you're talking about Bauer, Gallon, Boyd, Musgrove, Caning as your as your starting five uh, SPs, like that's a little scary in hindsight. Um, but, you know, you also have to play the draft. So that's kind of what I did in this one. Now, whenever you flip over to the other one, I, I feel like I did a lot better in mixing my risk with some steady guys. So uh, I still started off with four hitters to, to begin the draft. I started off with Trout, uh, Trout, Harper, Mondesi, and Olsen. And then I get Chris Paddock, who had an elite uh, whip last year. I still got my boy Zach Gallen in round eight. Uh, I got another hype man in Max Freed and Julio Arias. So a couple guys that are risky but do have some upside. Um, and then got, you know, a couple guys in Hauser and Savali who could provide some nice ratios. But, you know, in these 15 team draft champions, if you're not sitting down and drafting these things, you know, five hours straight, there are a lot of instances where you lose yourself. You lose what your plan was to begin with. And that is why uh, right now I'm starting to stray away from these type of drafts because, you know, I, I'm trying to focus in on my research and trying to focus in on what I want to do in a draft. And if I have to, you know, make a pick once a day or, or twice a day, like I can lose what I've set out to do. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I definitely from having gotten into one or two fast drafts already, um, I did an online championship 
and uh, a couple others where it's been sort of like drafting in real time. It is a big adjustment if you've been yeah. doing draft champions and you, because you know I'll, when I'm doing a draft champions and I, I I'm probably not in as many leagues as you are at any <laughs> at any given time. I'm usually trying to map out my team round by round and then I'll adjust. You know if I if I get sniped on a player if I um, just end up you know a player falls to me or something like that. I adjust the rest of my team. You know I I, I try to. And of course, the team will change, and I'll I'll, I'll lose guys that I was targeting, and and, and all that. But it, it gives me a lot of time to just kind of play around with it, and move players around, and, and say, oh well, maybe I'll get this guy in the 16th round. And you can't do that when you're drafting live. So it's definitely it's definitely a good like reminder that you really have to sort of shift the way you think about it. Um, and you know, maybe if you're in seven or ten drafts at the same time there's a little <laughs> bit of that in your first of all don't too. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i can see why you would be like well i'm just going to take take the value that falls because mm-hmm. you know i don't i don't feel like you know spending you know three hours in a spreadsheet every yeah. every round trying to plan the rest of my draft so for sure well i mean there's uh, there's definitely you know some people that are like you that will you know, map out every situation for a slow draft. And and with a slow draft, you have time to do that. There are people like me that prefer a fast draft because you have to think on your feet. You have to know where you're standing before you get to that, before you get to your pick. So after you make your first round pick, you have to be mapping out, okay, what if this guy is there in round two? What if this guy is there in, in round three or four? And if I take this guy, what do I have to do later on in the draft? And there are some people that can't do that on the fly. And whenever you're doing a, a fast draft like this, um, you have to be able to do that. Um, so I think these 15 team draft champions, slow drafts are great practice to learn the, the player pool. But before you get into your home league drafts or your main events or, or whatever it is, you need to hop in a few of these, uh, the fast drafts. So that way you can say, well, my draft champions leagues look great. Yeah, but you had four hours to make that pick. And these in these in these uh in these leagues you have fifty-five seconds to make that pick, and that's every single round. So there's there's a whole bunch of strategy that goes in it. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, going back to the aces versus volume or whatever you want to call it, have you found yourself doing it differently um later? You know, you mentioned that these these drafts were uh at least one of these that we were talking about was a while back. I think the you, you, you and even the one that was more recent, you said you kind of play pitching in in this particular league. But um, have you had other leagues where you did take uh, aces in the first couple rounds, or at least one of those rounds? Yeah, so I've tried the double aces, pocket aces strategy, and I can't stand it. It's not for me. (laughs) Uh, I I just don't like getting behind uh, in, in my hitting categories. So that's something that just just strikes me. Uh, it's just so much fear whenever I see I'm starting off my first hitter as Cattell Marte or Austin Meadows, and I'm like, oh, that just doesn't feel right to me. Um, my first DC that I did this year uh, was in November, and I, I tried to get cute, and I took three of my first four picks uh, were pitchers. And I think I stopped paying attention to that draft in like round 10 because I was like, this is the worst thing that I could ever do. Um, So it works for some people. It it definitely works for some people because 
you know, there is one thing to say about getting ahead in those those uh, ratios like you talked about, getting 600 Ks from your first two uh, pitchers that you take. Like, the, there is an advantage. Uh, like, the guy in this uh, draft champions, he went Verlander Scherzer at the wheel. Like, that's enticing to me. But then I look at his hitters, his first three hitters compared to mine, and I'm like, yeah, no, can't do that. Um, mm. But whenever whenever it comes to the big drafts, to the, the online champions – uh, to the to the main events like you have to have a balanced team um, you have to you know measure your risk with your safety and whenever you start off a draft I like to come out of it with three solid hitters and a and an ace um, I might go two and two but it has to fall the right way uh, in order to do that interesting yeah I'm kind of considering the especially if I have a late first round pick and I can get a, a guy like Verlander, um, I am considering uh, maybe just doing a one ace strategy for my main event instead of the two aces. I haven't I haven't really decided yet, but uh, you know, because if you have an early first round pick, then you're really in you know you're really incentivized to go with a with a stud hitter there. You know, especially if it's like a, first, a top five pick, I'm probably going hitter, um, and then. So, you know, you're not going to have Cole DeGrom or Verlander, who, for me, are pretty much the top three. So you're you're just not going to do that if you take a hitter in the first round. Um, But later, you know, if you have a later pick, you can do it differently. So I'm still still kicking some things around. I was just curious how how you saw that and, like, when was the time to get at least one ace. And it sounds like you won at least one by the third or fourth rounds. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I want it. And then whenever you get into the the main event, um, there there is something that I already have set in stone. I want a middle pick. I want between six and ten. The reason is is because not only will you know the top three go off the board, Cole, Degrom, Verlander, or Scherzer could all be pushed into the top ten because it's the main event. Um, sure. They they the people that play the main event do not want to risk missing out on that ace if that's what their whole strategy you know relies on so if i get a pick 10 and say cole Degrom and verlander went five six seven well that means i'm getting a guy like bellinger or Betts or lindor at pick 10 and i can't pass that up <laughs> yeah that's a great point well it'll be interesting to see how things change as you said you know you, you know players and you know and maybe when we when we ask questions like why is jeff mcneil getting pushed down or even even later like why is willie calhoun getting pushed down part of that is as we were saying before these these pitchers are going to be rising so it's just uh, it's just the nature of the beast and yep. the higher stakes the league the more people are just gonna ignore adp and do what they want to do so every year be, every year uh, it'll be fascinating to watch well, speaking of ADP, um, I will I will throw it to you. Do you do you have time to go through a round or two with me? Do you want to try to do do that? I am on the 16th round uh, right now, so we can do that, or we can. We've already been going for about an hour. We can call it a, <laughs> uh, a podcast if you need to go. Uh, let's let's talk about a couple guys in the round 16 range. That way we can we can keep your trend going. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll read off round 16, and you can um, you can highlight anyone you want to, and I'll just I'll limit myself to one or two. Sweet. Uh, so we went through pick 225 last time, 
And so pick 226 is Joey Lucchese. 227 is Mitch Keller. 228 is Caleb Smith. 229 is Griffin Canning. I know you like him. 230 is Brian Anderson. 231 is Mashihiro Tanaka. I'm sure I'm saying that name wrong. <laughs> 232 is CJ Krohn. 233 is Sean Murphy. 234 is Dansby Swanson. 235 is Luis Arias. 236 is Dustin May. 237 is Yadier Molina. 238 is Daniel Murphy. 239 is Gio Urshela. And 240 is Francisco Mejia. So that is the, in 15-teamers, that is the 16th round. Uh, who are you targeting or avoiding here? I think I might have messed up because I love a lot of these names. <laughs> um, well, let's see. We'll start off at the top with Mitch Keller. Uh, this is a guy that I was actually uh, really high on last year and obviously spent uh, a little bit too much fab for what I got from him last year. But uh, I'm really excited for his prospects this season. Uh, the whole entire uh, Pittsburgh brass has changed. Has changed so um, hopefully they can get the best out of him. And for him to be like a, a fifth starter, sixth starter for me, I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, there's enough upside for a guy like Mitch Keller as far as K's go, because I really think that he's a really nice strikeout pitcher. Um, the ratios might not be greatest, but if he can really hone in on his best pitch, which is the slider, uh, I think he could really skyrocket up boards um, and be a really nice asset for you, especially as a, as an SP five or six. Um, and then the guy right after him is Caleb Smith, and he's another guy that I'm really in on. He's, he's a guy that missed time due to injury, and before that injury, he was, you know, a top, what, 15 pitcher. Um, he got injured, he missed some time, came back, maybe wasn't as healthy because he still lost a tick on, uh, on some velocity there. Um, the, the counting stats and ERA was not very good, not very kind to him. I believe it was a hip injury. So with him coming back with a full off season to, uh, to rehab and get, get right for the season, I actually love the value here as well. Um, so I, I really like all the pitchers in this range, Griffin Caning, who we already talked about as well on one of my teams. Uh, the upside is just huge for him and Masahiro Tanaka. If he regains that form, uh, for a splitter, if he regains that grip, and, you know, completely just overhauls what he did last year uh, just by that one pitch. I think he could, you know, step right back in as a SP4, which is where he's been drafted for the past three years. I mean, whenever you think of Masahiro Tanaka, you think of a guy going in, you know, as your SP3. And now he's going as SP6. And I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah, I have to agree with with most of that, um, especially, I guess, if I had to pick my guys here, um, it would be Caleb Smith and Griffin Canning. And, and Canning is really, really my guy because I see, I see the ace upside with him. Um, not to say that these other guys don't have it. I mean, Mitch Keller. I mean, he, last year was definitely his his bottoming out. You know, it was just he got <laughs> incredibly unlucky. In fact, he um, his expected woba was like 314, which is not pristine, but it's 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 solid. And his actual Woba was 392 Woba against. So he basically, everybody looked like a all-star against him. Uh, and it was a lot of luck involved there. So um, I'm not going to pick each one apart. They're all going around um, the, the first part of this range. Joey Lucchese even. I mean, if, you, if that's your particular um, interest. I, I just think Caleb Smith and Canning have, have great upside. And Mitch Keller, it's hard to 
to uh, complain about that either. Uh, then there's Brian Anderson, who we already kind of talked about, and CJ Crone. So a couple of hitters worth talking about. I'm going to skip over and, and talk about um, the next two guys, Sean Murphy and Dansby Swanson. What, I, what I'm kind of seeing in all of this is there is there's a lot of value to be had here, the, the Brian Andersons and the CJ Crones, and there's also a lot of like upside here. So Sean Murphy, um, obviously not a not a household name, a catcher, but a top prospect. And uh, I've heard James Anderson talk about him very favorably. And I feel like, you know, he could he could come right in and um, do what top prospects do. And so he's, he's definitely a good upside pick here. And, and, and my pick for the round and my, my pick, maybe even in the top, in the, the in anyone going between pick 200 and 300 is Dansby Swanson. Cause I, I feel like he was actually having a true breakout last year and then he got hurt. And he, he had, um, I think 17 home runs in the first half and he was hitting 270 and, um, and he, he got hurt and he, he came back and he was not very good, but, um, if he could get back on track with that breakout and he's still only what 26 years old or something, um, I think we could see him sort of uh, take the next step. So uh, okay, get back to you if you have a, another one. No. Yeah. I actually want to agree with the two that you said. Uh, Sean Murphy is a guy that I am perfectly fine with taking as my catcher one. Uh, I know a lot of people like to have a catcher before this, this point in the draft, but I am not one of them. Uh, I, I have so many teams this year with with him as my first catcher, with Jason Castro as my first catcher. Uh, I just think that, you know, based off of last year, guys like, um, you know, Mitch Garver, who was picked up off the waiver wire, guys like Sean Murphy towards the end of the year. Um, I just think that there's so much turnover at the position that there are easily guys available, uh, even in a 15 team league that that starts two catchers. Uh, I still think that you could find guys of value on the wire. So if a guy like Sean Murphy doesn't pan out, if a guy like Jason Castro starts to lose time, uh, I think that there's enough on the waiver wire for me to find, uh, you know, a replacement level position there. And I get stock up on hitters elsewhere. Uh, and then as far as Dansby Swanson goes, uh, I'm perfectly fine with him as a, as a middle infielder in an auction that I was in last night. I drafted him as my starting shortstop and a lot of people would cringe at that, but I'm perfectly fine with it. Um, you know, I, I went, you know, uh, you know, with some studs and duds type things in an auction. So in a snake draft, I probably wouldn't end up like that. But um, in an auction, I'm perfectly fine with him being a middle infield or my starting shortstop. Like you said, uh, you know, he was having a breakout, got hurt, uh, wasn't the same whenever he came back. But I think the Braves are still intent on playing him uh, towards or batting him towards the top of the lineup. And with guys like Freddie Freeman, Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, Marcelo Zuna all around him, like that is runs gold. That this is a guy that'll that'll chip in some steals as well. Uh, won't kill you in average. So I am behind you 100% on those two guys. <laughs> um, I have a couple more. This is actually really a stacked round. Uh, I know. <laughs> I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you go first if you want to. We're probably on some of the same guys, but um, yeah. I mean, I mean, Arias, uh, if you need the batting average late, this is a guy that will provide it. Uh, he is a pretty much one category guy uh, in that batting average, but that's something that most teams, you know, are are needing towards the end of the draft. They, they take a look at their team. They're like, well, I could see my team hitting 290 and I can also see it hitting 260. Uh, so this is a nice little filler that you can get. Um, plug them in at, at middle infield, second base or outfield. Uh, that that's really nice that that could help you out. And, you know, if 
if we get news about Luis Arias uh, coming into the season and he's batting towards the top of that lineup, I think his price could, you know, jump up another 50, 70 spots because of the amount of runs that he could get. For now, I don't think it's in the cards. I think he's a guy that's going to be batting seventh or eighth. Um, you know, because they have a guy like Jorge Polanco and Max Kepler that can kind of slot in towards the top. But if he's, if he creeps his way up there, he could definitely, uh, find himself in the Willie Calhoun range for sure. And then, um, the last guy I'll talk about is Gio Urshela. He's a guy that, you know, could be, um, the starting third baseman in New York, which is huge. Uh, I have no problem with him being my corner infielder. Uh, I do think last year was a little bit of a flash in the pan, but if he gets regular playing time uh, based off his defense, which is, you know, close to elite, um, he could pop, you know, 20 home runs and still hit, you know, about 260, 270. Yeah, Urshela has kind of been one of my guys. Um, you know, I, I didn't see any reason that they would that they would take him out of the everyday role there at third base. I mean, we know Andujar is not a good third baseman and it, there's other places he can slot in. And, uh, you know, I just feel like Urshela, you know, maybe he's not a 30 home run guy, but he he definitely showed that he's got a little bit of pop in the bat. And, um, and I, you know, he's, he's, he's a guy, you know, some guys where you'll just see their projection and you'll see, well, this is a value if he just gets to his projection. Urshela is the opposite. Urshela is a guy that I really believe he can beat his projection, um, especially with the batting average. There, no one really is believing um, that he's going to be a, a really a plus in batting average. And, um, you know, I want to give him a chance to uh, to sort of repeat it. Uh, a guy that is uh, of value at his projection is uh, Yadi Molina. Um, they've, so the ATC has him for 431 plate appearances, 12 home runs, 45 runs, 53 RBIs, four stolen bases, and a 264 batting average. That is solid gold at catcher, and so, and especially at catcher in the 16th round. So if I miss on Sean Murphy here, uh, that's probably where I'm looking. And uh, doesn't have the upside, of course, but that is a pretty darn good floor uh, that you can get from a catcher. And I would take him over somebody like Francisco Mejia uh, later in the round because I feel like with Yachty, you have a lot more idea what you're going to get. And you can count on those at bats a lot more as long as he's healthy. Yeah, he's a safe guy as your catcher one or catcher two uh, that I have no problem with taking as well. Uh, but yeah, this round is very interesting. I didn't think that you know it'd, it'd have as many guys as I was interested in as, as it actually does. Yeah, no, this was this was a great one. Um, it's funny how there's these little pockets where you're yeah. like, man, if I could trade uh, you know a pick from the previous round to get two in this round, I think I would do it because. Well, I mean, the, uh, I mean, the good see- thing is is some of these guys fall. Like you can get these guys even past that, and I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah, if any of the guys we mentioned, and that includes C.J. Krohn and Brian Anderson, if any of those guys are falling to the 17th round, uh, I'm going to have a real hard time not grabbing them there, uh, regardless of whether I need them or not. So it's definitely a lot of value here and and a lot of chances to to really get some upside, too. Um, I mean, like I said before about Canning and Caleb Smith and Mitch Keller, I mean, you're 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 really it's a good time to be taking a pitcher as long as you, he's not a guy that you absolutely need uh, that could really sort of change the game for you. If he does what, um, you know, if he, if he returns the value that, that we're all seeing uh, in his potential. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, 
So thanks for uh, going through that round with me. That was a, that was a cool one. I'm glad we got to do that one. I, I know uh, we uh, we did a lot of that before and, and maybe got got more debates going about it. But it sounds like we both like this round quite a bit. Yeah. I don't think we came up with a single avoid, but uh, I guess I'll say I'm avoiding Francisco Mejia just so we have one. <laughs> I'll, I'll avoid Dustin May just because I don't think the innings will be there. I love Dustin May, but I don't think that the innings um, will will be enough to be of value. Yeah, and why, I don't see why you would take him when you could take somebody like the guys we mentioned before that should have a spot in the rotation, uh, barring uh, you know a health setback for the whole season. Right. Well, awesome. That was fun, Colin. Thanks for thanks for being on again and doing this with me. Um, uh, I will give you a chance to talk about everything that's going on with you, and then I'll uh, send you on your merry way to uh, to not do any drafting. Yeah, I'm actually looking at the lobby now. I'm perfectly oh, no. in the clear. Like, there's Colin. no way that I can join any of these any of these drafts. So, uh, we, okay. we went we, just we, long enough. Yeah. I'm glad we went through a round. We we yes. stalled you just long enough to, yes, to save you from yourself. No, yeah, no. I, I definitely can't do anymore. Uh, I mean, I have I have five live events um, in Vegas that I'm super excited about. Uh, we have TGFBI coming up, uh, starts next Monday. So we'll actually have something else to talk about, a, a fun draft that everyone's involved in. So uh, that's a lot of fun as well. Um, I have two more scheduled drafts, and that is it. Like, I've already scheduled them out. Um, you know, one's an auction, one's a main event qualifier with guys that friends with fantasy benefits. But I am up to my ears in fab leagues, and I cannot fathom dra- drafting another team right now. Uh, so no, I, I think I'm in the I'm, I think I'm in the clear uh, as far as drafting any more teams. But uh, you can find me on Twitter at cweatherwax13. I uh, do a lot of work with friends of fantasy benefits uh, and also pitcher list. I'll be writing a fab article. I'll have plenty of data to go <laughs> with the uh, with the fab article. I'll have plenty of leagues, contexts, and everything that you'll need uh, in order to make the right bids for for some of your teams, especially in NFBC. But uh, yeah, just find me on Twitter if you want to interact, uh, if you want to shoot me a DM, if you have any questions. I've been getting a lot of those lately, and I, I really enjoy it. Um, I started off in the fantasy baseball range uh, or in the fantasy baseball realm and keeper in dynasty leagues. That was my passion. Uh, and then I stumbled upon the NFBC, and now I've moved on to there. But I still have some insight if you if you have some questions about keepers and dynasty leagues as well. Nice. And people can find you on uh, a myriad of podcasts this week as you're trying yes, to keep yourself this week. away from drafting. So. <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being on, man. I really enjoyed it. Yes, Drew. Thank you so much for the invite. Uh, invite. You saved me uh, a few bucks tonight, so my wife will be happy for sure. <laughs> and, and for pulling your hair out when Fab comes around. Yes, correct. <laughs> well, people know they can find me on Twitter at CommonSenseFBB. So um, I'll just say thanks for listening, everybody. And as always, stay classy, Planet Baseball.